0: Support for WVIK comes from Kathleen Collins at the Dragonfly in Bettendorf, using both conventional and alternative counseling methods for empowerment to help create change for individuals and couples. More information is at KathleenCollinsCounseling.com.
1: Hello and welcome back to The Gallery Gap, a podcast that examines inequity and equity in museums, exhibitions, collections and programming. I'm Melissa
0: and I'm Claire and we're glad to be back
1: after a two-week hiatus. Indeed. What did you do with your time off?
0: It wasn't really time off, just time I mean off time, from the time away. <laughs> Uh, we said bon voyage to our seniors um, and closed our last exhibition of the season. I took a quick trip to go help out my brother and family with some child care. And now we're making the shift towards the summer and ironing out our next season of exhibitions. What would you do? Very exciting.
1: Um, our team went down to AAM's conference. That's the American Alliance of Museums conference, which was in St. Louis. And really, we've just been prepping for our new lineup of summer exhibitions. In most cases, our galleries have turned over. Um, We also started our summer of free admission this past weekend, which is really exciting and will last until Labor Day. So the Figgy is free to everyone all summer long. Excellent.
0: The new Figgy exhibitions include Carol Walker's Emancipation Approximation and Black Dolls, both of which we'll explore in future episodes. But for now, we wanted to spend some time on the exhibition Jefferson Pinder Ghost Light since it closes on Sunday. There's still time to see it. And as Melissa just mentioned, it's free. The exhibition is by Chicago-based artist Jefferson Pinder, who created a site-specific and performance-based installation exploring race, racial bias, and repercussions of racism in the Midwest.
1: So, based on several months of research, Jefferson directed community members to comment on the divisions and complexities of race relations in the region and across the nation, and really illuminated lives and personal perspectives in the process. So, these multifaceted portraits form the heart of the exhibition. And that title that Claire mentioned, Ghost Light, references a theatrical superstition where you have a darkened stage and it's illuminated by a light, and often it's just a single electric bulb on a stand. In that case, the light is meant to kind of ward off the theater's ghosts. That's the superstition. In the exhibition, in Pinter's exhibition, the light takes on a slightly different meaning. It's turned on when the performances aren't happening. So when people visit the exhibition, the light is meant not to really ward off ghosts, but to represent the spirits or the people whose lives and narratives have brought the space to life during those performances. And there were three of them throughout the run of the exhibition.
0: As an interdisciplinary artist, Pinder creates performances, video work, and sculptural objects that challenge the viewer to think critically about themselves and our highly polarized society. Using the museum as an example of a place that may seem unwelcoming to some, Pinder's work breaks down that perception. Challenged by the many barriers and hindrances that keep people from stepping inside a museum or art space, Pinder actively brought members of the community, who might otherwise have felt unwelcome, into the fold of art-making practice. The exhibition features interactive sculptural installations made of cast-off materials, video projections, and scheduled live performances. Developing over the course of the exhibition, three distinct perspectives came to life upon a sculptural stage setting, providing the viewer the opportunity to reflect on the complexities of race in the Quad Cities. It is Pinder's hope that, as the exhibition unfolded, previously overlooked aspects of the community could be revealed.
1: So while Jefferson was in town for the third and final performance, a portion of which you can view on our Facebook page when we were live from the event, um, when he was in town, he generously agreed to speak with us about Ghostlight, and we'll hear the first part of his interview during this episode, and then you can look forward to hearing the second half of the interview next week. So here we go. Well, Jefferson, you became familiarized with the Figgy probably dating back to when we had the show from the Driscoll Center a few years ago, and you had an artwork included in that. And then you worked with us again when we had some of your video, your film I- displayed down in our orientation space as part of our figio video series. From that point, we were really interested to see, you know what what your thoughts were on coming back to the figgy not in a way where you were included as part of an exhibition or we had specifically requested something but in a way where you had the freedom and the flexibility to really take your art in our building in our community and go anywhere you wanted. and so we have on display ghost light we're really excited about this and i'm wondering if you could share some of your thoughts on kind of how you got to this point where your exhibition is on display and you know, some of the inner workings of what it took, you know, the practicality of what it took for this, but also just why,
2: why? That's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> and we have you 20 know, minutes. <laughs> <'cause>, yeah, <right. laughs> go. Um, I was, you know, I guess three years into the Midwest and spending a lot of time kind of traveling back and forth from, from the, the East coast to, to here. And, and I, you know, I remember meeting you and thinking, wow, this is, this is new. I mean, this environment, you know, that, uh, to be kind of, uh, you know, off the Mississippi, I, mean, I had no idea the Mississippi went through Iowa. <laughs> and, you know, we talked about um, the bike rides and the culture of Iowa, and, and I was fascinated. You know, it was, you know, I guess a couple years into uh, Obama, Obama's uh, second term. So, you know, I was thinking about, like, um, Iowa as being this this improving ground of sort. So... I I then went to to do more research because um, the curator um, at the Figgy, Andrew Wallace, you know, he proposed possibly doing something with the community. And then once that was in my mind, I think that was both the gift and the challenge. Because, you know, I mean... there's a you know wonderful uh, social practice that goes on that that um, you know a lot of artists are into, but my work is somewhere in between. I wouldn't consider myself to be a social practice artist, but maybe after Ghostlight, I have the chops. But um, I wanted to to do something and learn more about the community um, through my artwork. So. Just took time to to get to know individuals, and and gradually it, it seemed like it was it was like the Matrix, you know. I I could, I could take the blue pill or the red pill. You know, on one hand, uh, I could come in and I could do my show and, and and have very limited engagement with the community, but then on another, I, I realized that this is just a an incredible opportunity to learn more, and uh, and and the deeper I went into it, the more I I, I found out about. Um, race in the quad cities, the history of the quad cities. And I was also fascinated with the idea that I couldn't find much about the quad cities online. You know, that, you know, I could look up most anything else and find out a lot of information. But when I was looking up information about uh, um, Davenport or the demographics in, in Davenport, it, it, it was, it, I couldn't get a hold of it. And then Rock Island was another beast into itself. And I was like, well, what about the other two? <laughs> you know, and then Bettendorf and. In Moline and East Moline and, and history um, of the the area, which, you know, I think is kind of remarkable, but it's just not really d- documented the same way at other locations. So, you know, I had, you know, just spending a lot of time in Davenport, I realized, I, you know, I thought that, that there weren't that many black people in town. And that was, um, I guess, uh, that was, um, that wasn't the truth. Uh, what I learned is is that I wasn't going to the right areas of town. <laughs> and so I spent more time in Rock Island, and I, I learned a lot about it. And, and I met individuals that introduced me to different aspects. I think one of the really important events that I went to over the last six months was the Labor Day parade in Rock Island. And I was like, holy crap, there are a lot of um, people of color that live in this town. But I just haven't really reached out to them yet. So then it became a process of just like spending time in Rock Island and talking to people you know asking them a question you know what is it like to be a person of color in the quad cities And I got so many varied answers and they were intense answers. They were like you know um, I'm fearful of crime you know I you know lost my husband three weeks ago in gun violence and a random stray bullet and I was thinking, wow this sounds like you know big city problems. And kind of in a really confined area. So um, it was really eye-opening experience talking to people. And I, you know, as, as silly as it may sound, I mean, just walking up to people on the street and asking them what they think was probably one of the most beneficial things that I did in this artistic process. I guess I'm not talking much about art. No,
1: no, no. This is amazing and perfect. Was okay. it hard for you? I mean, it sounds like that's walking up and asking for people's opinions. Isn't something that you have been doing as part of your artistic practice? Correct me if I'm wrong. Right. Was this difficult for you to to kind of um, put yourself in that space and and
2: and approach people in that way? Or you know, it it was until people responded to the answers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it was really difficult. Um, I guess thinking about it. But when I uh, creeped up on people and I asked them the question, they're like, oh, yeah, actually, you know, I've been waiting for someone to ask me this question a long time. Let me tell you what I think about, you know, you know, the, the experience of an African-American in the Quad Cities. Um, I got arrested for, you know, wearing this suit. You know, I, you know, when, when you know, and I was just like I had one like a um, gentleman who said that he got pulled over because his, his tail light was out. And he ended up getting taken to prison, um, or jail rather. And, and I, I, it blew me away. I mean, I'm not sure what this situation was, but he was waiting to tell somebody about it. And just um, what I learned a lot about is the surveillance that happens in certain neighborhoods in Rock Island and the police presence and, and even going around myself as, you know, as an African-American male. Um, I, I, w- I found that, that there were cops and they were watching me. So I guess I, I was I felt um, listening to the stories and 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 listening to people was really cathartic for them as well as helpful for my for my project as you know as well. That's wild. That's a messy answer, but you get the No, I no, know, that's, you know. that's,
1: that's well, not messy. It's, it's, a <laughs> I mean, it's a messy situation. It's a messy,
2: yeah, situation. yeah, so. yeah <laughs>
0: it's, it's appropriately reflective. Yeah, it's, it's so. Um, I'm sure you've seen that that in the in the research that. In Davenport, there was a, a study about um, comparing the demographics of how many people were getting pulled over for traffic violations mm-hmm. versus like the demographics of of the actual Davenport community, and that basically what the demographics were showing is that that people of color were getting pulled over at a much higher rate than actually was reflective of the of the area. I don't know if you had a chance to. You know, I mean, been, I've
2: and... been told different things by by so many people. Um, and I did some research on the, um, the, the was it the Scout, Scott County Prison? Yeah. I mean, I, I looked at the demographics, and it, it, it was disproportionate. I mean, it was yeah. something that I was like, oh, this is a, this is a problem. Yeah. Um, and so then the question is, well, how do you aestheticize that? Mm-hmm. You know? It's like, well, I have an exhibition that's going to be in a museum. And how do I take all of this information and, and create a piece of art on that? Well, the first thing you do is you... You, you take the idea of making um, a piece of art that is supposed to be for a museum and you throw it out the window. Mm-hmm. And you make something that's true, you know, that's honest. And hopefully that will kind of, like, push you through and lead you to um, to something that, you know, that's actually special. Or um, it'll take you to a place that, you know, I, I think sometimes we get hung up, what, what is art? You know, what is a performance? Well, tonight I have um, two women... They're going to be talking about um, their experiences, you know, from high school from 1972, and it's like, well, is this art? Well, I'm, yeah. Why? Why can't it be art? Um, I think it's good to challenge people and, and people's perceptions and, and to open up. You know, the museum can be such a powerful place, and that's something that I learned too. How many people who I said, have you heard of the Figgy Art Museum? Um, certain people, yes. A lot of people, no. And and I, you know, and then the question is. Why not? It's I mean it's that building right there. We can take a look over the water. See that? That's the figgy. It's like never been there before. And so I wanted to make uh, an exhibition in which people would be invited or to feel comfortable in that space. And how do you do that? You you, you put them in that space. Mm-hmm. You know you 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 say okay I want to make a, a piece about you, and then I want you to bring you know your community your family um, out to see you, you know what you look like in this space. And then kind of opening it up um, for people to take ownership over this, you know. Because I I think that the museum is, you know, it's just an incredible structure, you know. It's pretty powerful. It marks the the landscape, right? But I I want folks to... um, to take ownership uh, equally o- over the space, and and I think this was was my my step and my contribution to that. You know, sometimes I feel like I've been pretty successful. Sometimes I am like, wow, I am just scratching the surface. But honestly, I mean, I th- I think the effort is is valiant. I mean, it's, um, I mean, there there is just it, it was a, really a powerful experience for me to be able to have an opportunity and then be able to take that and, and reflect it and and be able to sh- to show. The community itself in that space. And that's what I've been working on doing.
0: And have have you heard um, feedback from the community members in, in their responses, not only to your work, but also to being in that space and anything that... That's come out of that, or is that still in process with people? Or
2: you know, I think that my circles were kind of tight. No, now I think about it in hindsight, I wish that I'd cast a bigger net, but it it, it it's Herculean. Yeah. I mean, oh, the yeah. idea is just, I mean, <laughs> there is no end. There's no end to it, and but I've enjoyed it, and I've had some like for example, when we had Joe McLemore uh, come through uh, last month, and it was, it was amazing. How many people come through Joe's barbershop, but how few people from Joe's barbershop would come into the museum? That's that that was the challenge. And Joe knew it. He's like, you know, I'm not sure if folks are gonna come here see me. And so we did, and it was a filled space, but it I don't know if it had the demographic um, mixture that I would would have liked, you right. know. And so that that it was, you know, in all honesty, I mean, I think I was partially successful in that, mm-hmm. and that I think that there maybe there was more f- for people to see, but maybe it doesn't – it's not that linear, yeah. you know? Maybe it's almost too simplistic in its thinking that um, if you bring the gatekeepers to the museum, the rest will follow, um, folks will follow. But uh, I think it's, a, it's a, an initiative, and I hope it just doesn't stop with right. the right. show. Right, right. It's yeah.
0: more of a sustained – it needs to be a sustained effort, and maybe this catalyzes – other things that come out, you know, that your exhibition and your performances I, might, yeah, other things might come out of that.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. And I think that it, it, it was the process. I mean, that's, you know, I'm an artist. So it, it it is a lot about the process. And even when it's not fun or it's difficult, yeah. or, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, trying to think, well, was I too ambitious with this? But the process is, is, um, is really what you have to respect, and and that you know d- the discoveries aren't necessarily going to be made when you want them mm-hmm. to be made, and sometimes it, you know it might be next year, it might be two years from now, or, or or further down the road where people will will think, oh yeah, Joe did a show here, or or Gay um, Shannon Burnett did did a really incredible thing yeah. at the museum, and I remember that, and you know someone else will ask a question, it's like wow, okay, well maybe maybe this space is is not what I thought it would be, and and it's a lot more inclusive.
0: I'm looking forward to the performance tonight because Melissa and I, at one point in time, we were talking about some of the events that they'll be talking about this evening and how difficult it is to actually dig up information. I mean, you kind Mm -hmm. of mentioned this a little bit about how difficult it was for you to find out information about the Quad Cities as a whole, but also – If you want to jump in. Can I even
1: jump in? Yeah. The the soul bowl. Yeah. You gave me very specific details to pull from the archives. (laughs) And I went straight to my contact at the dispatch artist. I gave him all of those details. He said, no problem. Um, They're probably in this other room in storage, but I'll have them fetched. Got back to me a week later. He's like, we can't find them. He's like, they must be in the warehouse. And I was like, what does that mean? That sounds ominous. That's right. That is ominous. (laughs) That is not going to be. He's like, it will be... It will be amazing if we can find anything on this.
2: Yeah, well, you know, 1972 and on October 6th, there was a a, a fight that broke out. Um, well, actually, uh, it, was a, it was a riot. Um, I mean, I, I think sometimes I, w- I want to to sweeten it, but, you know, I think what Gay and other people who are there have told me is like, no, this is what it was, and it's important for us to recognize it as that, and I respect that. Um, but there was a... A football game in which um, a young African American uh, was sitting in reserve seating section, and as Gay uh, Shannon Burnett like I- explains, uh, it was reserve seating section that had a um, that because of the dynamics of the environment that had become like the all white section. Mm-hmm. Um, she explains how um, systematically they barred blacks from sitting into that section while this young man, you know, was was feeling militant and and wanted to stand up for, for I mean, for, I guess, um, understood what it was and wanted to be there, and wanted his presence to be there. And I guess the athletic director had a conflict with him, and uh, punches were thrown, the police came, and then there was a melee. Um, students, both black and white, were protesting, um, this young black man being taken away. Um, and then what seemed like um, oh, an, an, a, a solitary incident, a similar incidents were happening in a United Township and also at um, East Moline the same night. So it's like something was brewing at the surface. And then at Rock Island that following Monday, um, all hell broke loose. Mm-hmm. And there were 30 um, black students that went to school that day but refused to go to class and uh, met outside the field of the gymnasium where the police then came. And then was a conflict between the police and the African Americans, um, I think sixteen people were arrested, um, and and that was the first day. The next day, very similar thing happens, and tear gas was used. Riot cops came. Um, the National Guard was called. State troopers that following Monday patrolled the hallways, and and things were changed at at the school. Um, arguably, I mean, you know, it's it, you know, uh, it's it's the, the, those events still. Uh, you know, uh, cast a shadow on, on, on Rock Island's culture today.
0: Well, I was just going to say that I think that, I mean, that is such a significant event that, that happened, and the fact that you had to dig to go find that speaks to a larger institutional and structural issue that we face here in the Quad Cities. And exactly. so I think that that's, that feeds into why I think that your work here is so important, that, we're, we're, that you're starting to have these conversations, because, and not that we're going to fix... things in this, but we need to be talking. I mean, it's, so thank you
2: for... Oh, well, you know, it's fascinating. I mean, it's, it, it, I think that's the great thing about, you know, they, they call, you know, artists that come in from out of town and do a project and then leave, they call them helicopter artists, Mm -hmm. right? But one of the things that you can see from this perspective is, is like possibly um, more difficult, you know, subjects that, that folks in the community uh, have a hard time putting their finger on. Uh, you know, few people will argue that, you know, the area is segregated, but, you know, trying to understand why mm-hmm. or the history behind that. And then you know, here you have like a group of high school students, young young kids that are like carrying the burden of prejudice from their parents and having to deal with it. I mean, I found documentation from the Argus in which the, the mayor at the time, Mayor Haymaker, said, you know, I wash my hands of this. This is your responsibility. I can't do anything for you. The school administration can't do anything for you. This is your problem. To the students? To the students. To a group of white students that came to to say, we we want to try to figure this out. Mm -hmm. You know, Mayor Haymaker said, you know, we do have a problem, but it's up to you to solve it. And I I couldn't believe it. I'm reading this on a paper and I'm thinking, you know, this, I mean, there's so many other things that were going on in 72. I think there was just an, an... a suspicion of, of the youth. Um, I think there was a fear of the youth. And it becomes really evident when you read the stories. And also everything is divided in black and white. The white students came down, the black students fought, this white parent said this, this black parent said this. And I'm like, wow, this is, these are the roots of some of the issues that we have to deal with today. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you wonder why things are the way they are, this was a really pivotal moment in which, you know, there, I don't, I, you know, Again, like I was saying before, I don't know if, if, if Rock Island has truly recovered from it, and, and nobody wants to talk about it. Yeah. Uh-uh. I mean, we had to, um, you know, we asked over, you know, 30 people, you know, to talk, to be a part of this project, and, and most never called back. For whatever reason, maybe it's just strange to have an artist call you and ask you, what happened in the riot in 1972?
1: But we had personal, like, we, we put personal feelers out there yeah. and ask questions with people we, we work with. And we know it wasn't necessarily a cold call. It was yeah. a hesitancy to engage with this material in such a public way, I think.
2: Yeah, I and mean, we ended up having um, to find someone from, from Florida. Bring her in, and and her. and I and I thought, well, what well, that is interesting too, because even when she came in, she, you know, um, Cheryl Lafferty was was talking about like her fear of being able to talk about this and stuff. She, in public. she
0: was a student at at Rocky, That's and she right. now lives in Florida. Okay. That's right. Okay,
2: she's a um, she's going to work with Gay um, okay. tonight okay. Um, to have this conversation about this incident, uh, and the format of the performance is a. Uh, we have like a skeleton, which, you know, there's exposition, which I, th- I think it's important to share, but then we break out into conversation, and then the whole piece is going to end with a breakout session, which we're asking the audience to come together and to talk. I want you to to, to be witnesses to one another. Mm-hmm. You know, in a similar tradition of Auguste Wilds, um, you know, Theater of the Oppressed, it's just like, this could be a really powerful moment to get people to talk about it, and You know, as powerful as I think it can be to the audience, I think it's also really important for the audience to talk, you know, Mm -hmm. to the performers and and, and be heard as well. There's people like Vince Thomas, who has been in the community, you know, um, one of the founders of the the New Times uh, newspaper, the the only newspaper in the Quad City with soul. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) that's the the title of the newspaper. (laughs) I love it. Um, And... He has an interview with Gabe Brunet from 1972 that, that Gabe completely forgot about. So it's like this interesting time, and where where, he, where there have been people who have been watching and have been noticing and voices that for for you know reasons I don't know, you know they haven't been heard. But this is an opportunity for them to say, "Yeah, I was there, and I was talking about this, and I wrote about this, but nobody was really paying attention." Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to bring in somebody from the outside to say, "No, I, I hear you," <laughs> you know. There's, you know this you're you're right this this was a huge problem and and you have it documented that you were there and that you identified it for what it was and i think that someone like vince uh, thomas sh- should be commended for for his service in the community
1: we are so grateful to jefferson for making the time to speak with us and hope those of you who are local will stop by the figgy to see ghost light before it closes on june 4th and be sure to join us next week as we continue our conversation with jefferson
0: I also want to remind you, if you haven't done so already, that you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play, and you can listen to the episodes on WVIK's website. There's an email on the website in case you'd like to contact us. And also don't forget that we include additional information and materials on our Facebook page, such as that live posting from Pinder's performance, his last performance. This additional material relates to the episode. So if you're interested in digging deeper, be sure to follow us.
1: And as always, thank you to the Augustana Teaching Museum of Art, the Figgy Art Museum, and WVIK for your continued support of this project. A special thanks to our production team, Lacey Scarmana and Alfredo Monteca. And this podcast would still just be a mere idea if it wasn't for the generous support and sponsorship of Pedersen Pate's design. Thank you so much for making this program possible. And last but not least, thank you to you, all of our listeners. <music>